Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. I'm Jazz Zapatos, and I ate Lunchables every single day at school until high school. And then I was too embarrassed. Wow. the uh, Like the ham and cheese one? Ham and cheese, turkey and cheese, make your own pizza. Yeah, I only had the make your own pizza one because I was like allergic to dairy. I ate the pizza one with just pizza sauce. <laughs> that sounds horrible. It was so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Not that like a couple tiny pieces of fake cheese like elevate right. it to gourmet level whatsoever, but throw on some fake pepperoni. But like some crusty bread and ragu is just unbearable. <laughs> You're like, must fit in. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> and my name is Dad. <laughs> We've learned enough. Yes. And my name is Dan Levine, and when I was a kid, I found out that I had flat feet, and then I went up to my dad one time, and I was like, so when will I get better? And then he had to tell me that I'm never going to get better. (laughs) 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 Papa, (laughs) when am I going to get better? (laughs) It's like putting in my orthotics. I was like, oh man, I can't wait for a year from now. I don't have flat feet, and he had to like... Sit me down, <laughs> arm over the shoulder. Like your Forrest Gump with the foot braces. And you're like, one day. So far, nope. This week's episode is about a movie so near and dear to my heart that Daniel had never seen before. And I'm just, ooh, chomping at the bit to know what you think. And that movie is Now and Then. I'm so nervous. This is like how you felt, I think, about speed. It can't be, though, because I like speed, but it's not like important to me. Like, I think that this is important to you. I beg to differ based on how you were on that episode. <laughs> if anybody wants to know what I'm talking about, just go listen to episode five on speed, where Daniel sounds like he's on speed because he's so passionate about this movie. I am. And you were like, I really hope you like it. And now, like, I'm not sure that you will like this movie, but I am hopeful that you see some of the merit in it spoiler alert i did okay oh thank god speaking of spoilers now is as good as time as any to issue our weekly spoiler alert if you've never watched the movie now and then probably means that a you're not a girl not yet a woman and b you've probably never eaten a lunchable so go now as opposed to then and watch this movie and then come back. Nice. All right, now that that's out of the way, uh, Daniel, why don't we set the scene? Please, let's do it. The description of this movie reads, three strong women, Roberta Martin, Samantha Albertson, and Tina Teeny Tercel return home to reunite with their childhood friend, Chrissy DeWitt Williams, and see her through the end of her first pregnancy. The four lifelong friends share their memories of the unforgettable summer of 1970, the summer their innocent younger selves grew up. Yeah, that's perfect. This movie is directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, who went on to direct a lot of different things, mostly episodes of TV, namely Homeland and Pretty Little Liars. Right. Yeah, I think she's kind of like a spokesperson in Hollywood for female directors. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but... Okay, here is the cast list. We got Christina Ricci. We all know her from Adam's Family, Casper, blah, blah, blah. Playing Roberta Martin, opposite Rosie O'Donnell. 
First off, how how does Christina Ricci grow into Rosie O'Donnell? There's such a clear parallel that they didn't pick there, but whatever. I mean, I still think the casting is pretty good. We've got Demi Moore as Samantha Albertson playing uh, opposite of Gabby Hoffman. So we know Demi Moore from Ghost Striptease, G.I. Jane. We've got Gabby Hoffman, who is in Uncle Buck, Field of Dreams, Sleepless in Seattle. She's also, if anyone ever saw Girls, she's Adam Driver's sister. And Transparent. And Transparent, right. So she's still doing her thing. We've got Thora Birch as Tina Teeny Tercel, opposite Melanie Griffith. She was in Hocus Pocus. Uh, she was in American Beauty, of course. We've got Rita Wilson playing Chrissy DeWitt, who's opposite Ashley Aston Moore. Rita Wilson is Tom Hanks' wife. She's in Sleepless in Seattle, That Thing You Do, My Big Black Greek Wedding, Jingle All the Way, of course. And then the supporting cast, really quick, we got to mention it because there's so many people here. I kept thinking about that. Every time somebody new popped up that I had forgot was even in it, I'd be like, man, I wonder if Daniel was expecting this. No, I mean, I saw a small figure walking down the road and I was like, is that Brendan Fraser? And it was like, no, that can't be. And then he gets closer and closer. I'm like, oh my God, Brendan Fraser's in it as the Vietnam War vet. Fun fact, that part was supposed to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And then he backed out. Wait, how old would Leo be? He was a young Leo. Old enough to fight in the Vietnam War. So true. Yes. But he would not have looked like haggard no. Brendan Fraser. I think it worked out for the best. It worked out great. We've got Devin Sawa. Dreamboat. Heartthrob as Scott Wormer, the best. I mean, he's in Idle Hands. He was in Casper, shared the screen with Christina Ricci. Same year. Same year. Interesting. Little Giants, Wild America, Final Destination, you know. We've got Cloris Leachman as Grandma Albertson. She was in Young Frankenstein and she was in Beer Fest oh, as the grandma. <laughs> I love that. And then the last three are just Janine Garofalo. We know her from every 90s movie ever. Hank Azaria, who is everywhere. The Simpsons, obviously, Wonky and Polly. And then Bonnie Hunt as Mrs. DeWitt. Oh, she's great. She's so good. But it kept making me think of Jumanji. Yeah, same. She has such a small part, but she just works the shit out of it. Well, way to do that super fast. That was painless. A lot of people in this movie. A lot of great actors. This movie has a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, but an 82% audience meter, which I think makes total sense. That makes sense. total sense Critics to me. hated this movie. Audiences loved it. I read one review, but it was kind of a retrospective. It wasn't when it came out, and it was just talking about how it was the first movie to create young women characters that are real characters, that are dealing with real things. And in hindsight, it was like incredibly important. Whether it worked as a movie at the time is another thing, but like that is maybe one of the reasons why it's such a cult classic and it's so important to so many people. Right. We didn't get a lot of movies that were about young women that weren't like slumber party you know like there is young female friendship but it's not sugar-coated there are some very real visceral moments in this movie that i feel like as young women it was important to see that yeah i mean i really wish i'd seen this movie when i was younger because like all little boys i just didn't know anything about girls and i didn't know that they were like real people in in a, in a very real sense and mm. i think that this would have helped me a little bit <laughs> yeah okay don't try to fight it. <laughs> I have picked, actually, every week I pick three reviews. This week, I had to pull four. Whoa, okay. I just, ooh, they're just- Two Amazon reviews? You bet. <laughs> Two Amazon reviews. I just couldn't decide which was more weird and which was more fucked up. I could not decide what to do. Oh, is it really two Amazon reviews? It's literally, yes, two Amazon reviews. Oh, I was joking. Okay, awesome. No. That's great. That's my favorite part. Normally, I have to mine for the good stuff, and these just both leapt out at me, and <laughs> really, 
upset me, but <laughs> we're going to read them. Uh, <laughs> but of course, we save those for last. So starting off, we've got Margaret McGurk, who is not from a Dr. Seuss book, a real life <laughs> lady writer from the Cincinnati Enquirer who writes, this would have been a more appealing movie with less now and a lot more then, which seems to be the consensus of almost everyone critic-wise, which is really interesting to me because it's not something that I ever thought of, but I agree. Whereas we have these like A-list star actresses playing the grown versions of these women, sort of sandwiching the movie, you know, the opening and the closing. And most people are like, we did not need that. These young actresses just acted them under the table. They're so much more riveting. So that's the first thing I said to Emily after I watched this movie. Number one, halfway through the movie, we forget. First of all, they're not believable as friends to me in the same way that the kids are so believable as friends. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, is that the last part we're going to see the kids? Like, I don't care about them, even though they're the same people, of course, but I just want, I wanted to see some type of resolution with the kids. Right. I thought that review was pretty right on the nose. As always, Mr. Roger Ebert, who gave this movie two stars, was not a fan. He writes much like what we just said. The adult actresses are completely superfluous to the movie, which is a contrived Stand By Me kind of story. What distinguished Stand By Me was the psychological soundness of the story. We could believe it and care about it. Now and then is made of artificial bits and pieces. The director, Leslie Linkaglatter, says in the press notes that she started crying when she first read the script because it captured that delicate evolution from girlhood to womanhood and you so rarely find that. I guess she didn't see a man in the moon, which has so much more truth and tenderness that it exposes now and then for what it is, a gimmicky sitcom. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. Yeah, I wouldn't either because I do think that's true. I think it does capture the evolution from girlhood to womanhood. I also have heard like this it's the female version of Stand By Me, which it absolutely is. I had, couldn't help think about it. Yeah. yeah, of course. It absolutely is. I didn't find it to be a gimmicky sitcom, at least in the parts with the younger actresses. The older actresses, yeah. Also, I hate to tell you this, but you were wrong about or something really important uh -oh. to this podcast. And that is that Roger Ebert is dead. Wait, what? Roger Ebert died in 2013. Oh, right. Someone took him out for writing this terrible review about now and then. Wow. Rip in peace, my friend. Well, I gave you the bad news and now I get to read you two Amazon reviews. So I figure we can turn that around. Perfect. That'll cheer me up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, both of these reviews are just goo. Goo. Yes. Okay. I'll read the one that makes me less mad first. Okay. <laughs> okay. This review titled, Cute Movie, But Too Much Weird Spiritual Stuff. It reads, Fair Warning, Tarot Cards, Weird Talking to the Spirits as They Are Chilling in a Graveyard. Some people think it's a joke or just play. But for real, doing such things invites increased demonic activity into your life. But Jesus is stronger than all that and he loves you. Call out to him and he can protect and save anybody who acknowledges that they need him. However, regarding the movie, very good life lesson at the end. Would have liked some kind of warning about this spiritual stuff, but got none. LOL. Sad face. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Amazon Review Land just like an offset of, of Christianity? Things? Yeah. <laughs> right. Wow. The next review. Oof. God. Okay. <laughs> Written by Mr. Banks, 
one out of five stars titled Horrible Man Stomp Movie. Oh, I knew this was going to be other. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. (laughs) This movie is horrible all over. It is compared to Stand By Me. That movie is a classic. This one does not even come close to measuring up to SBM. (laughs) (laughs) Some say this is an inspirational movie for young girls. Just so you know, they are wrong. If you're a parent, do not show this to your child. It promotes sexism in the worst ways. The girls are all persecuted by boys. Practically every word out of these boys' mouth is sexist. That is not how real boys behave at all. This is a movie that seems to be designed to make girls from a young age distrust and be hard on the male gender and see them as nothing but knuckle-dragging Neanderthals who all think they are superior to the female gender. They do horrible things like stealing the boys' clothes while they're skinny-dipping and spying on them to see their penises. Punching and attacking a fat boy who admittedly was being a jerk, but in real life wouldn't have acted quite that sexist. In the present timeline, when the girls are grown, one of them is pregnant and they blame it on men in general. (laughs) What? I'm pretty sure it is a man's fault if a woman gets pregnant, but that's just me. (laughs) Just definitionally. Sounds like a movie that sets a good example. I think not. This is a horrible movie and a bad influence. Do not watch it. Wow. Okay. So, so much wrong, so little time. This is like people who are against teaching critical race theory. Right. So backwards. This is like girls rule, boys drool, like silly stuff. Like they're, you know, they're going to be friends in a year. Right. They're going to be making out in 40 minutes in. Like this is exactly yeah. how boys, little boys act. Let's be wow. real. This is exactly how boys act. Yeah. I mean, when you're of a certain, you're, they're 12 here. 12 year old boys are enemies with 12 year old girls. That's just what it is. Was it opposite day? Am I? <laughs> what? Wow, I hate that person. Uh, I hate that person. Mr. So, Banks. Mr. Banks. I really can't not, stand you. Not to be confused with the father in Mary Poppins. Right. Certainly not the same Mr. Banks. It can't be. Are we fired up and feminist enough to start this Now plot? I am. <laughs> now I feel like I'm like, I need to defend all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, Mission accomplished. I'm ready to dive right into the plot. Let's fucking do it. I just wanted to say that it opens up with Science Sealed Delivered and it never stops. This is like one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard. And I've had every one of these songs stuck in my head since I first watched it. Oh, it just immediately blasts you back to that 60s, 70s era of just simplicity and good tunes. Ooh, childhood. Not our childhoods, but somebody's. Similarly to Romy and Michelle, I think the soundtrack is like a huge element of this movie. I I think the soundtrack and also the score. It is kind of like, I don't know who did Robert Zemeckis' movies, like, you know, Forrest Gump. It's that kind of like twinkly, super sentimental stuff. And it's great. We open with this game of Red Rover. We've got the soundtrack beginning. It didn't even have to be 1970. Like I was remembering growing up as a kid, like having block parties and having all the kids play outside in the street. Neighborhood kids just coming and starting a game. Yeah. There's no social media, no cell phones. Not a phone in sight, just living in the moment. Riding your bike around. like They like keep talking about how shitty this place is, small town Indiana, and they're like, oh, it's so boring here. I was thinking like if I grew up there, there's like three kids to every household. They could do whatever the fuck they want. It's great. What else do you need? She has a line right at the top that's like the leading cause of death before puberty is boredom. <laughs> right. You know, but I feel like that was the beauty in the simplicity of growing up before the age of the internet was that you were always doing something, having some kind of adventure because 
you were solely responsible for your own fun. You had to go out and find that softball game and you did. Yeah. Or like read Cosmo with your friends at a diner or something like Fuck, that. Fuck yes. So we, we close up on these four best friends and then we fast forward from then to now, if you will. I kind of love this device that they used. We're looking at a picture of the four of them. And then we'll go from a young face to the older version of them now, but just sort of like little glimpses into their life. So for example, uh, young Christina Ricci grows into Rosie O'Donnell. Again, like I think for all of us, a major disappointment, who is a doctor. Young Thora Birch grows up into Melanie Griffith, who is a famous actress. Young Gabby Hoffman grows into Demi Moore, who's this moody writer. And young Ashley Aston Moore, rest in peace. She is no longer with us. Oh, bummer. Grew into Rita Wilson, a stay-at-home pregnant, soon-to-be mother in the Burbs, actually living in the same house that her mother owned before her, so where they essentially all grew up hanging out. She's still in that same house. And I just feel like this sequence is such an effective and charming way to just like get you up to speed without taking a ton of time or like speaking about it in clunky exposition. Right. Like, well, we can't all be as smart as you, Doc. Right, right. They're yeah. just like, from then to now, this is what it is. Yes, 100%. And and I'd like to say that the three other girls and women, I think, are all perfectly cast. So fun fact, something interesting about the casting of this movie was that the four younger versions of the girls were cast first. Christina Ricci was the first actor to be cast. And before the adults were brought in for the final weeks of filming, which was filmed in Savannah, by the way, the four adult actresses to prepare for that watched footage of the younger girls' performances to inform their own. Interesting. So they shot everything with the younger actresses first, and then the older actresses tried to mirror them as adults. Well, yeah, I mean, not to give, because I know eventually we're going to do Forrest Gump, but that's the same with Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks came up with the voice of Forrest Gump because of the child actor. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Love you, Tom. Me too. Besides the fact that throughout this whole movie, we kind of are watching Christina Ricci struggle with her femininity and what it means for her to be a woman. And it's literally throughout the entire movie. I didn't realize it until I was looking for it this time. But from taping her boobs down to the way she dresses to fighting, people are always commenting on her inability to be a real girl. And actually, Rosie O'Donnell's character or their character was originally written to then grow up and be gay but at the last minute they wrote it out and just threw in some like offhanded comment about her living in sin with her boyfriend this was maybe my least favorite part of this movie because rita wilson kisses rosie o'donnell and i'm like oh okay so there's a couple this is great that's so great of them to like <laughs> you thought they were together i thought they were together i would say probably it's the fourth to last line in my notes that says she's straight <laughs> and then it says they show rita wilson's wedding picture at the beginning of the film like when she's like doing her hair, they pan her vanity and there's a picture of her on her wedding day to a man. It could have been anybody. I don't know. This whole movie, you thought Rita Wilson and Rosie O'Donnell were together? Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> and then there was like funny parts about it where like Rita Wilson would say, oh, I can't wait till I get to grow up and marry a successful doctor. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Like I'll write that down because she ends up marrying Rosie O'Donnell. She's married to another doctor. Who is indeed a man. Right. You had such a different experience watching this movie. A hundred percent. Because the, then the whole time I'm like, oh, Christina Ricci is like kind of hooking up with Devin Sawa. But then we're going to kind of get that moment where she's like, man, if I don't even like Devin Sawa, I think I like girls. I am floored. Yeah. Right 
<laughs> and in watching them, like watching all of Roberta and Chrissy's interactions, you're just like trying to pick up on weird childhood sexual chemistry. Yes. Like, oh yeah, my like when God, Daniel. She punches her. I was like, oh, that's such a cool, like maybe this is the first time that like they fall in love because she like stands up to her. I'm telling you the entire movie, I'm looking for these clues. Holy shit. This is blowing my mind. Okay. It blew my mind. Well, I'm very sorry that you were under that impression. That's okay. Um, I'm glad to, to know that like it was somewhere in their minds if they yeah, didn't go well, the other way. Yeah. I mean, well, Chrissy was not gay. Roberta was meant to grow up and be gay. And by all means, they paint uh, Rosie O'Donnell to just seem very lesbian, sort of leaning into the butch. It's not like they're like, oh, Christina Ricci finally embraces her femininity because clearly she grows up and does not. But literally, they just do like one offhanded comment about her living with her boyfriend in sin and then and that's it. They just like scrap that whole thing, which I think does everybody a little bit of a disservice. It confuses me even more than why it's Rosie O'Donnell because I'm thinking like they're making a statement they're going to use a gay woman as an actor. She hadn't even come out publicly oh, yet right. for like you're another right, couple right, of years. Right. But that makes it even more layered of like, okay – so if you're not going to make her grow up to be a lesbian, which you're kind of hinting at the whole movie, or even like a lot of signs that maybe she was trans, you know, I don't, who knows, but why cast Rosie O'Donnell? I was really expecting you to have like a fun fact where it's like, oh, I don't even know who would be the, the person that would play Christina Ricci, but like, oh, she just kind of had to cancel and then Rosie O'Donnell was clearly not doing anything. The opposite, actually. Fun fact, Rosie O'Donnell turned it down. Rosie O'Donnell was doing a Broadway show at the time and they literally flew to New York and just like showed up backstage after the show to like bribe her to take her out to dinner so they could truly sell her on the idea of this script. So like they fought hard for her. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Oh, but another casting fun fact. Originally, the role of Chrissy was offered to Kirsten Dunst, but she refused to gain weight for the role. She stated it was not worth ruining my figure. Wow. Yeah, because they lay that on hard. And yeah. I'm not going to fault them for it. That's a part of the movie. Like you're like, oof. Kids are terrible to one another. Chrissy was a perfect cast, but we could have had a chubby Kirsten Dunst. I think she would have killed it. Moving right along, we see Demi Moore, who is driving back to her Indiana hometown, chain smoking like a fiend. And she says, they say you could never go home again unless you've yeah. made a pact with your friends. So basically, they make this pact as little girls that, and I was just like, man, I don't have one of those. And I don't know if I know anybody who's like, I'm sorry, you guys, I got to go back to my small town that I grew up in because my childhood friend is calling on a pact that we made when we were 12. But I value that. I love it. I think I love it because this is the first time I think, okay, so this is it, meaning the movie, the Stephen King movie, because it's right. very similar. They have to come Ew. back as adults because of a pact they made. Ew, and somebody almost dies in a sewer. There's too many parallels. Yes, exactly. And the whole time, this is the thing I was talking about before about, you know, my morbid tendencies. <laughs> you should specify that for the listeners who didn't hear our conversation before. Right. Uh, well, I talked about it before, whatever. <laughs> my, my vague morbid tendencies. <laughs> I was well, I was talking about how I go out of my way to watch sad and creepy movies. And this whole time, this is a terrible part of my personality but i was like i hope something terrible happens 
in this movie. Yeah, I wanted it to be like really, you know, like in Stand By Me, you know, the kid dies and all of a sudden it becomes really real to them. Like I thought it would have been really interesting if three friends came back and they were like, one of us died. And then, you know, you don't know who died the whole time. But then you see the girl fall into the sewer and you're like, oh my God, this is it. That's a different kind of movie for sure. What, just the realistic tale of female friendship isn't enough for you? I wanted it more realistic where somebody dies. <laughs> there are, I mean, there is, is some fucked up shit in this movie. Yes. Like, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. There's some dark shit that goes on in this movie. I'm talking about, like, murder. Yeah, there's murder in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is murder in this movie. Just not enough child murder for you? <laughs> not enough for me. Fucking yeah. psychopath. Try it try again. <laughs> no, but I need one of the girls to get murdered. It's only a boy who gets murdered. <laughs> And I don't even see him get killed. All these girls who have somehow miraculously survived into adulthood (laughs) come home to their hometown because Chrissy, as a grown woman, is about to go into labor with her first child. We sort of right away see the split between the four girls. It's kind of divided like two and two. Two of them stayed in their hometown. Rosie O'Donnell, Roberta, and Chrissy stayed in Indiana. And then Teeny and Sam left and like one's a big writer one's a big actress there's a noticeable gap between the girls who left and the girls who stayed that was not a dynamic i had noticed before yeah there's a lot of like snippy remarks too like oh i didn't even want to come back or like both groups are judging the other for their choice oh big time a lot of unspoken judgment i kept thinking like you see them grown up and they're going to be fantastic friends and you're going to think like oh like their friendship is so strong but like the whole time it's really weird and i kept thinking like these people are friends right i mean if anything is a little bit more realistic where sometimes you have those friends that all you really have in common is the past and you can talk about memories for a bit but then you kind of run out of things to talk about right so anyway roberta rosie o'donnell is already living there so she goes over to chrissy's house first then demi shows up i mean i get she's supposed to be like a big city writer but she is literally dressed like charlie chaplin there's something very weird going on with her aesthetic (laughs) uh melanie griffith pulls up in a limo because she is an actress. So that's how they get around. The only way she yep. travels. Actors, they're just like you and me. The two girls who left are on the swings, and the two girls who stayed are sitting just under the tree. And they're just basically like scolding the girls who left for being crazy, wild, cigarette smoking women who are not settled down yet. Yeah, she says the longer they're gone, the weirder they get. Drinking bush. Chrissy's pregnant, <laughs> drinking bush. We watched Demi Moore swinging, and we like kind of pan up to the sky and we pan back down it's young sam on the swing and they're like kind of in the same positions but just same house same swings as young girls in the summer of 1970 they're like yeah this was the time before mtv and nintendo where we had to find ways to entertain ourselves and i was like that was a great reference at the time but it's just so funny that like kids today are like the what written today it's like not like You know, we don't have the metaverse. It's like double layered nostalgia because even like the now version of it feels nostalgic because it's the 90s. You're watching someone who you feel nostalgic about feel nostalgic. It's a lot of feelings. We cut to Sam who is up in her bed reading and listening to her parents fight, which she says is she just sees it as comfort and consistency. So I guess this is like the way it's always been for her. Her little sister comes in to cuddle with her because I guess she's also being kept up by the fighting. Did you recognize this young actress? No. 
Who was it? Sam's little sister is played by Rumor Willis, Demi Moore's daughter. Whoa. Moore's daughter is the sister of her past self. Now and then, her daughter is playing her sister. Right. She's adorable in this too. Yeah, she's great. We then cut to Roberta, who is measuring her boobs because they keep getting bigger and she's pissed off about it. So she tapes them down. We learn that she grew up with mm-hmm. all brothers and her dad because her mother died when she was young. We are now in Teeny's room, who is practicing her Academy Award speech. Very one track mind, this character. She just wants to be a star. They say uh, her parents were country clubbers and never around. Typical upbringing for movie stars and pathological liars. Then we are at Chrissy's house. Bonnie Hunt is Chrissy's mom and she's just fucking great and so anal and she goes in to start having this sex talk with Chrissy and the way she frames it is, is she says all women have a garden and they need quote a big hose to water it or, or a, a small, small one. one as long as it works <laughs> i wrote that one down it's so good i mean you could have told her how sex works and like left that out entirely <laughs> i think it was like a little inside joke to herself i never thought about it that way so you know we get a little intro into the lives of all the girls and then we meet the wormer brothers who is kind of like the rival boy gang, of course, headed up by the ever-dreamy Devon Sawa. As soon as we see them for the first time, they start pelting the girls with water balloons filled with green jello. And man, I just envy these old school neighborhood antics when kids played outside and you had a rival mm-hmm. group. And and you hated them. Like, to me, it just made it more interesting. When they're having the conversation of like, I thought you hated me. And they're just like, it was just something to do. Right. I love all things that come out of boredom like that. It's like very uh, small town vibe. The boy in me immediately saw the wormers and thought, the wormers rule. <laughs> They're so awesome. You're such a wormer. I am. They're like five brothers, clearly antagonistic and have like no parental supervision. So Yeah, but they, I mean, the girls don't either. It doesn't seem like anyone does. But nobody did back then. It was just like you just left the house to play with your friends and didn't come back till you came back and snuck out every night to go to cemeteries. Like, Jesus Who among us can say they haven't done that? I couldn't get away with anything growing up. I couldn't ride my bike out of the cul-de-sac and my mom wouldn't even be home and she would know. I couldn't get away with anything either until a certain age. Yeah, well, probably because our parents were the generation that left all day and came back when they wanted to and they know the kind of shit that they got into and they were like, no, no, no. That's 100% right, yeah. There will be no skinny dipping at the creek <laughs> for you, son. There is no such thing for me. We can do it now. Yeah, right. It's not as fun. When you can do it, who cares? So the girls are at a diner doing a Cosmo quiz, and we learn that their mission this summer is to save up enough money to build a treehouse. It's that evening. Sam's dad leaves, which is heartbreaking, but she decides then and there that she's not going to tell anyone because she says she doesn't want to be different from her friends, which I I thought was really interesting because I think I was just like, they're all so inherently different. I agree. I, but I, I still like that line because I think that there's some lines in here that I think that they do that a couple times where they're like, I just want to say something that I really believe about childhood in general, whether it's super applicable to this group or not. I, I still like that. That's such an intense fear for any kid growing up that you're going to be different and therefore cast out. She decides she's not going to tell anybody that her dad left. I think too, because back then that was like, she says like nobody in, well, fun fact. So the neighborhood that they live in is called the Gaslight Edition. And that was actually going to be the title of this movie. Whoa, I'm glad it wasn't. It just sounds like an indie band from 2010. So. Right. <laughs> 
So the girls meet in the cemetery. They decide they're going to bring somebody back from the dead. And they see a headstone that says, Dear Johnny, who died as a boy. So they start doing this seance, which first of all, you would never catch me in a million bajillion years doing this. (laughs) Not as a kid and not now. Me and that Amazon reviewer have that in common at least. We're just like, you are inviting some weird shit into your life. was very uncomfortable watching this. Not from a religious standpoint, but just because I'm scared of ghosts. Yes. The only reason I wouldn't have done it is because I might get in trouble. Not because I thought that ghosts would get me. You wouldn't be in trouble with ghosts? (laughs) Yeah, I'd be in big trouble with dear Johnny. (laughs) Sam starts leading the seance and they are like, okay, give us a sign if you're here and tell us how you died. And Chrissy starts like falling under this spell she's like he's here he's lonely she sold the shit out of that oh yeah did it freak you out a little bit yeah you're just like is this the kind of movie this is gonna be i was hoping i was like oh this is so cool yeah there are so many psych out moments like that where like if you've never seen it before you're like wait now ghosts are real in this universe like (laughs) what the fuck yeah when the headstone's floating yeah i was like oh what no chrissy psychs out the girls and they're like super pissed she's like guys Come on, it's just pretend none of this is real. And then lightning strikes a tree like right behind them and takes down a branch and it starts immediately pouring, which again is also like highly suspect of ghosty activity. Ghosty yeah, fuck activity. that. You you would not catch me in a cemetery in the daytime. It was hard for me to go to like a grandparent's funeral because I was just <laughs> scared. You're like, oh, there's a lot of deadies around here. <laughs> Baddie, 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 daddy, daddy, baddie, daddy, baddie, plain daddy. Check, doing a little inventory. Daddy, 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 daddy. After Chrissy has her like little fake fit, Christina Ricci punches her. She's like, oh, what'd you do that for? And she's like, you deserved it, fart ass. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like insulting each other and smacking each other around and I love it. So anyway, the girls are like running scared out of the cemetery and Sam sees somebody in the cemetery and she tries to tell the other girls and she's like, somebody's in there. And they're like, come on, Sam, let's go. And Teeny's like, it's probably just the wind or something. And I was like, wait, that's not how vision works. When you hear like a creepy sound that when you're home wind. alone, yeah. that could be the wind. The wind, as many know, is clear. <laughs> Unless you're painting with all the colors of the wind. Beautiful reference. Yeah. They go home and they're all just feeling all the heebie-jeebies. Some weird shit is happening. The wind is kicking up. I really like Mm -hmm. this. I get very uncomfortable thinking about it. I have goosebumps right now. (laughs) I am very sensitive to ghost stuff because I personally have a few pretty bad ghost stories of things that have happened to me. And I have also had... (laughs) many psychics stop me to be like hold up you are very susceptible to the spirit realm so you need to like stay away from Ouija boards whoa not even like ooh somebody's trying to talk to you they're like you don't know what you're doing so you need to stay away from this stuff wow I'm not a fan of this um (laughs) fun fact about myself I don't like anything about it I never think about ghosts you're so lucky you never think about ghosts I've never thought about a ghost no like literally every night when I'm trying to go to sleep, I'm thinking Ever. about ghosts <laughs> like every single night. Yeah. It's to the point where when I hear people say, oh, I'm scared of ghosts, I either think it's a joke or they're talking about something else. <laughs> Did you say goats? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot ghosts were a thing. Sorry. Like Michael Jordan? Are you afraid of Michael Jordan? <laughs> wow. I would like to think you're in the minority for my own sake. Man, we'll put a poll out. Man, fuck you, Daniel. You're not afraid of ghosts and your parents are still married. Yeah, but I never got over my flat feet. So <laughs> You never healed. 
Healed. Healed. Nice. Anyway, some freaky shit is going on. I hated that scene where like Sam's telescope is like spinning around and then all of a sudden it just stops. Oh, that was cool. And she's like, all right, I know dear Johnny is in my room right now. So then we find that the girls have this amazing communication system. Yeah, it's so cool. Is it a clothesline that connects their house? So it's like there's all different. Everybody has a different means. So there's a bell system going from Sam's window to Roberta's window. She like pulls on a line and it rings a bell. Then Roberta shines a flashlight into Teeny's window to wake her up. Then Teeny has a walkie-talkie to Chrissy's room. And they're like, we need an emergency meeting. I'm like, bitches, you literally just got home. What time is it? It reminds me of the uh, 101 Dalmatians when they set up like the bark chain. Oh, hell yeah. I always think about that when I hear more than one dog barking at a time. Me too. So these girls are like, we need an emergency meeting. They decided they're going to go back to the cemetery. They're all in their PJs and they find that Dear Johnny's gravestone is cracked. Can't they have this meeting in like a well-lit parking lot or something like that? Right. Why do you have to go back to the cemetery? Just go walk outside your houses. You'll all be there. It's too loud or something. Yeah. They don't want to get caught. So they go back to the cemetery and Dear Johnny's grave is cracked and they're like, we did it. We brought him back. We fucking did it, you guys. I kept thinking before I knew what this was about, I was like, is Dear Johnny a reference to like Dear John letters? But then that metaphor never really concluded. So I was like, okay. The way your mind works, Daniel. You're always the one that's like, am I the only one who was thinking this weird thing? And I'm like, yeah, yes. (laughs) So they're like, we did it. We brought Dear Johnny back. He wants us to figure out how he died. So they decide they're going to go to Greenfield to do some research. There's like a big library there with records. So they're going to ride there on their bike, which they allude is very far away. We have this super fun adventure day. They're on their bikes, just pedaling for miles. They stop at this little rundown corner store on the side of the road to like stop for lunch. I think they're playing Truth or Dare and they always do truth throughout the whole movie. They only ever do truth. They're talking about boobs and boys and teeny reveals that she stuffs her bra with pudding-filled balloons. That is really gross to me. Can you tell me why? Um, Tell me why. Because there's a couple of things. That her body is making the pudding all hot. (laughs) And then also, like, what if it explodes and then you just have pudding? (laughs) And then it's even, for some reason, it's grosser because it's vanilla pudding. My thing is, and I had the same thought about the Jello filled water balloons. When you're filling up a water balloon. Great Bill Cosby impression, by the way. (laughs) The The Jello pudding (laughs) balloons. When you're filling a water balloon, you're like, putting it under a hose or something that is forcibly putting water in there. Mm -hmm. But pudding or jello is just kind of like squishy. My thing is like, how are you getting the pudding or the jello in there with enough force that it's going to expand the balloon? Agreed. Because you can't like spoon it in there. That doesn't work. So what if you take like, um, what do chefs use to decorate a cake? Piping bag. There's no other explanation. She doesn't have a spigot of vanilla pudding. I wish. Nah, chocolate pudding. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we're having like standard puberty conversations, a lot of incorrect sex stuff flying around. 
Christy's like, we're taking a break. And she gets shit on by a bird. So we've got to go down to the lake and get that bird shit out of her hair. Soon, all the girls are in the water, splashing about, having a grand old time. All of a sudden, Roberta is up on the top of this super tall tree and is like, I'm going to dive in. And they're like, do not dive in. It's super shallow down here. But she does it anyway and never resurfaces. And the girls are like screaming, looking for her. They don't see her anywhere. And then they see her downriver, face down in the water. And they're just screaming, running towards her, dragging her to shore. Chrissy goes to give her mouth to mouth. And Roberta spits water in her face. And she's like, it was a joke, you guys. Like, you know, she's just playing a prank on them. I wrote down, it was a joke? How? Making your friends think you're dead? Let's even put aside the like how screwed up that is. I don't even logistically understand how she did it. She's underwater for a long time. It was a great prank, I guess. But like, I didn't understand how she could do that. Chrissy does not seem to think so. I would be pissed. Again, prank Sinatra, too big or too small. (laughs) Too big or too small. Chrissy winds up and punches her right in the face. This is one of those moments that you referenced. Everything gets like sucked out of the scene. like in Speed when there's no sound. Yes, at the end of Speed. To me, this moment was very similar to that in that like this whole movie is filled with music and punchy comebacks. And in that moment, it's like everything gets sucked out of the scene and it's just such a visceral moment. Right. Then Demi's narration comes in and is like, this is not the first time that Roberta faked her own death. She says she keeps trying to make death funny and maybe that's to make it easier for herself. That's a great line. Maybe one of my favorites. I get it. I'm no stranger to making jokes out of my own trauma. Like I think that's like a very common thing that people do. There's one thing to make a joke to like lighten a moment or make yourself feel better about something and actually making your friends think that you're dead all the time. I do think that she's like 12 years old and she just has no idea if she's got to take people down with her in her joke to herself to make death feel like a joke she's not going to have the foresight to understand how it's going to affect other people yeah no i mean i think she learns pretty quickly after she gets punched in the face and that's when they fall in love that's right that was the first moment fun fact while they were shooting that scene christina ricci in one of the takes did not move her face fast enough and chrissy actually punched her in the face and they had to halt production for several days because she got a huge black eye and they could not film. Wow. Yeah, because the punch that she throws looks kind of real too. If you would have told me that they just kept that in, I would have believed you. That might be the take. Hopefully. Also, I have a note here. Just remembered that they get together when they're older. (laughs) It is so bonkers to me that this is what you thought. You must have been so confused at the end when her husband comes in. Out loud, just said she's not gay. And then I wrote it in all caps just to hammer home the point to myself. Did you say that out loud to Emily and was she like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, she was like, what do you mean? (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell's delivering her own baby? Wow, how special. I swear I thought that. Not even gay. Not even gay. Big mistake. Big. Huge. Anyway, we hear some tomfoolery coming from a little bit further down the watering hole, and we come across the Warmer Brothers skinny dipping in the lake. My first thought was, how are they allowed to film these naked kids? I wrote down a note, make those kids be naked in a movie? So then I had to- (laughs) Why you write your notes in broken English? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Because I think I was having a conversation at the same time. I don't know. 
It wasn't Make great. Make those kids be naked in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain was not working. I started looking it up. Emily started telling me that like when she was younger, everyone would like pause the movie because you're like, am I, what am I seeing here? Am I seeing wiener? Real butts and wieners. Well, there's definitely real butts. So then I read this article where they interviewed Devin Sawa about it. And he was like, everyone was super, super careful. They had to wear socks on their wieners. How do they stay? I have no idea. Maybe with a rubber band or something. I don't know. Because they are flipping around and jumping all over the place. It had to be like half of an ankle sock. I mean, they're like 12 years old in water. So they didn't need much. (laughs) No. And he was like, as to the rumors that you can like see my dick in this movie, like I don't think that Fox Searchlight or whatever this is would have ever let one frame of anything pass through and and MPA wouldn't have let it happen but I'm I'm more talking about like on set how are they doing this right because you're still seeing their real butts it's hard enough I would imagine for adult actors to like get into the zone where they're gonna do a scene with nudity but like everything is embarrassing at 12 13 years old And some of those boys are even younger. And then shooting a film with girls that you like in real life have a crush on. By the way, fun fact, there was like a competition between all four of those girls as to who was going to end up in real life hooking up with Devin Sawa. Nice. Who won? Of course, Christina Ricci. It's not really fair. So to then be on set with girls running around holding your little pee-pee in your hands, chasing after them on bikes. You could never have convinced me to do that in a million billion years. I wouldn't care about the money or 12 years. Old, I don't really even have a concept of money at that point. So you're like, I don't even want to talk to a girl. Yeah. Let alone show her my butt. Not even close. But yeah, we're like watching these naked boys flip around in the lake and the girls steal the boys' clothes, which to me is just fucking brilliant. Just one of the sweetest forms of revenge I've seen on screen. These boys are just running through the woods naked, cupping their little ding dongs. Ding dong filled socks. They're like dropping their clothes for them off the back of their bikes as they're chasing after them with their little boy butts just jiggling <laughs> on a dirt road. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. Questionable methods, but effective. Whatever. So they finally get to this library and they've got these like massive dusty record books and they're looking for info on Dear Johnny. But unfortunately, Roberta finds a news clipping about her mother's death. I guess she had never known exactly how her mother died. Her father had told her that an angel just swooped down and took her to heaven. She learns here like, fuck, just like in brutal detail, the way her mother died, which is in a head-on collision with a tractor trailer, pinned in the car for an hour and a half before anyone got to her and died that night in the hospital. Which is so awful. And I didn't even pick up that her mom died before this. I didn't even know her mom was dead. Were we watching the same movie? There's only one small part where they say her mom died, but it was at the very beginning. When they say like she takes the picture of her mom and she keeps it with her everywhere. Right. Fun fact, that photo of Roberta's mom that she carries everywhere is actually a picture of one of the producers, Jennifer Todd. Wow. Yeah. Nice little cameo. Nice. So it's definitely a sobering moment for the girls while they're on their quest. They find the story on Dear Johnny that he and his mother died, but that's all they know because pages have been torn out from the record book, which is highly suspicious. I didn't know what to think at this point. (laughs) Right. So we 
have gone all this way basically for nothing. I mean, they stick it to the boys, which is nice. That's true. They got to see some wieners. We're on our way back and we come across Brendan fucking Fraser. We learn that he was in the army and he served in Vietnam and was discharged for sustaining injuries. And Teeny is just like dying over this. Anything on two legs with a dingle, she is just alert and ready. Obsessed. But I also think that she's obsessing over the morbidity of it. It's such a fresh take where it's like, everyone's like, I thought we were winning the war. And he has this view of the war that they are not privy to at all. And I just think that she's like sopping up this whole perspective. He's like the most real version of a man. And also like there's so much mystery that comes along with a man who's back from war and he's seen so much. I love this scene. If this movie is a series of stepping stones from girlhood to womanhood, this is a big one of those where they just realize you can't believe everything you hear. You can't believe everything your parents tell you for sure. And all of these things that they thought, you know, like that we're winning the war, that a purple heart is an honor, you know, and they're seeing this guy who's like clearly seen the light and is very disillusioned and knows too much. Giving out cigarettes. Sam says, doesn't seem like you can believe in much anymore. And Brendan Fraser says, you can believe in yourself if you're lucky. I love that line. Yeah. I feel like this is like a huge learning moment for them. And also too, they're like growing up in bumfuck Indiana. So, you know, there's probably a lot about the world that they don't know. And the two of them will never know. They have lines where Chrissy's like, this is like the safest place in the world. If something bad could happen here, imagine what the rest of the world is like. Like two of them decide not to even venture out to see it. That's kind of my reasoning for thinking that this is less of a romantic interest and more of her first glimpse into the world outside of Indiana. It's like in uh, High Fidelity where it's like, I wanted their clothes and their opinions and their salaries. It's like the same thing where it's like, I just want your opinions. I want your view of things. Oh, I love that. Our next step in finding out about Dear Johnny is to hit up Janine Garofalo's house, who is the town mystic. Not before they pay her 10 bucks. Which then was a fucking lot of money. I did the math. It's 53 bucks today. For a kid? For a kid? For nah. 12 years old? I didn't have that money till I was like 18 years old. Right. right. Also, like your treehouse is at stake. And I did the math there. That means the treehouse is $935. For a bunch of 12-year-olds to be like, we're going to raise $1,000 in a summer? Yeah, right. I don't know what you're putting in your lemonade. Good for you. Paper chase. It's the American dream, baby. Start young. That's the only house you'll ever be able to yeah, buy. True. <laughs> So they leave the mystic and they're like, sounds like murder. And then they're just like riding their bikes and this kid runs up to them. It's just like softball game, this field. I'm like, oh, man, what a time to be alive. So Sandlot. You're like the one newsie in town. <laughs> like, got a round of all the kids. Yeah, the town crier. It's really mostly just boys playing this big softball game. So of course they're like, yeah, let's check it out. And that's when we have this horribly sexist demonstration. <laughs> Roberta is up to the plate. And then this stupid dick sitting on the fence is like, girls can't play softball. Christina Ricci just knocks him the fuck out. I kind of believe it too. It seems like Christina Ricci could do some damage. Hell yeah. And he deserves it. Because then he stands up and says, it's too bad your mother's dead. Someone needs to teach you how to act like a girl. Yeah. 
Whoa. And then I love that Sam just jumps on him after that. And then she gets in a fight with him. Like, that's fucking friendship. Love that. These girls are just rough and tumble. And it's amazing. Teeny's parents are throwing like some kind of crazy swingers party. All these parents are terrible. They're awful. They just are like, why should having kids change my life? Right. I'm just going to keep partying and Ugh. smoking cigarettes in the house. This scene makes you understand Teeny, I think, so much more because she has no siblings. She's very isolated within her nuclear family. And she's sitting on the roof and she has a view of the screen at a drive-in theater. So you can tell like she is probably up on her roof most nights watching movies and she just knows every line and movies are sort of like her only companion. Love that. like no shit she wants to become an actress. Yeah, I think it's the first time she gets a little depth to her. Roberta is then playing basketball and Devin Sawa comes up. He's so sweet all of a sudden and he's like, you know, you're really good, not just for a girl, but for a guy. Yeah, which is a weird way to put it. All of the signs point to <laughs> they're like on the swing and he's just like laying down the moves. And yeah, then we have the sign that's like, I thought you hated me. And it's like, so did I. And it's just like, things are changing. Puberty is happening. <laughs> Feelings are exploding. Body hair is growing. <laughs> And he asks if he can kiss her, which is like, I could feel the nervousness, the secondhand nervousness. They're both so good. I mean, specifically Christina Ricci. I think she acts circles around everyone in this movie. She's on a whole nother level. He kisses her. And I just love that he's like, that was great. And she's like, it was okay. And then I'm like, right, because she doesn't like it because she is into girls. Zoe, she's in love with Chrissy. Yes. Oh my God. It's the real love story. Cut to Sam and Teeny up in the treehouse. Sam admits to somebody that her dad left, which I think is also another one of these pivotal stepping stones to growing up for all of us, which is when we realize that our parents are fallible human beings and they're imperfect and we have to like choose to love them anyway or not. But regardless, it's just not an easy lesson to learn. No, it's not. And Brendan Fraser tries to teach it to them offhandedly earlier on. So then they can call back. It's like, you know, I think that he was right. It's a big thing to understand that maybe your parents aren't right all the time. We just have this super deep and meaningful conversation between Sam and Teeny in the treehouse. This is something that has stayed with me since I was a kid. They are leaving the treehouse and they're like, let's go. And they like hop a fence. Tell me if you notice this. Behind the fence it looks like the literal white house emily said the same thing also like this is the same treehouse yeah. that they're in the whole movie and i don't ever remember seeing it there before you shouldn't want to pay attention to something like that because then you think that that's going to come back like it's somehow significant but right. yeah why why is that there i don't know, I don't know. and i've had this question since i was a kid but i'm glad i'm not the no, only one not. thanks emily of course it starts to rain they're riding their bikes in the rain and sam so while they were in the treehouse teeny in like a show of friendship and solidarity takes off her beaded necklace kind of <laughs> snaps it in half with her teeth and like ties it into two bracelets which i'm like first of all in no reality do you do that and beads just go fucking flying everywhere there okay? is no way i've done enough it's beads impossible no yeah. that this is not how beads work but it was a nice gesture she gave Sam this bracelet. It's very meaningful. So her bracelet, Sam's bracelet falls off in the rain and falls into a storm drain. The audacity of these children. I don't know. Maybe I was raised as a fearful kid because I'm not going to blame my mom, but my mom was definitely more on the side of a cautious parent. Mm -hmm. And so like I was afraid of, I was not the girl that was going to jump in a storm drain. That's for fucking sure. No way. She just slides right in there. I'm just like, bitch, let those beads go. Just let them go. 
to Poseidon. I know they're symbolic, but those things are gone. Even if they were on like the lip of it, I'll just go get other beads. They are fucking gone. She's going to crawl into the sewer with the trash and the shit and the rats. All of a sudden, water starts rushing into the storm drain and Sam can't get out. And this is so stressful. I hate it. Even more so than watching her in there is hearing Teeny screaming and crying and pounding on the sewer grate trying to get her out. Hard, hard to watch. Yeah, 100%. And- I kept thinking that water probably reeks, reeks, and it's like falling on her face. The fact that she survived that and then didn't immediately die of some kind of horrible disease. I mean, there are rats crawling on her. New fear unlocked. She doesn't need to worry about the vaccine at all. (laughs) She's fine. Luckily, Crazy Pete comes to the rescue. This man must be 120 years old. He's a million. He's strong enough to lift up the sewer grate and then jump in this sewage. It's incredible. But it it also kind of broke my heart. It broke my goddamn heart when he's like, why are you scared of me? It's like, you only go out in the night. It's like, I don't like to see people very much. It's like, I don't think they like to see me. Oh, it just breaks my heart. And his little old voice and his old wet hair. It's convenient for the plot, but like adults are so ready to open up to kids in this movie. Every adult is like spilling their heart I would never say anything (laughs) like that to a little kid. But I mean, he's pretty lonely. So he's like that guy that shovels driveways or whatever in Home Alone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're like very parallel characters. It's the Boo Radley trope. And Samantha is really the scout. They have this kind of connection. You know, she sees something in him and wants to trust him, even though everybody is kind of afraid of him. And it's a really sweet connection. And he saves her life. And there's like back to life. Like the next day, they're just like singing and painting a garage door. Like I would be traumatized for weeks probably. I mean, like three seconds after she gets out of that drain, she's like intently listening to Creepy Pete or whatever, Strange Pete. (laughs) Crazy Crazy Pete. Pete. (laughs) And she's like, oh, you know, I guess I'll just listen to this guy talk about his life right now. I don't know what I would do. I almost just drowned in garbage soup. Like I just had a rat on my head. (laughs) I wouldn't be listening to Crazy Pete. It's not time for conversations. Yeah. We have this very traumatic scene and then immediately cut to the next day where the girls are just living their best life, painting a garage door, singing to the radio. And the one girl is just like slamming Twinkies. Chrissy. <laughs> it's like, we get it. She's God. the fat one. The Wormer brothers walk by and they're like, you know, whatever they do. Yeah. And Devin Sawa is like actually nice to them. He like tips an imaginary hat. It's like, ladies. He doffs his uh, proverbial his hat. cap. And Demi's narration comes in and is like, that was the day Roberta stopped taping her boobs down. That's what it took. <laughs> he does. I mean, he does give a little like sly Devin Sawa swagger. We cut to, the more I go through this plot, the more I'm like, this is like a million vignettes in one movie. I mean, there is a through line, but the scenes are kind of like disjointed, but I, I didn't feel like that while I was watching. I just feel like as I'm trying to go through the plot right now, I'm like, uh, what am I even? <laughs> one thing is not leading to the other. Anyway, now we're at Nana's house because she so graciously agreed to have us over and talk to us. I don't know why she invited them over because she clearly only has like two minutes to talk to them before she's literally like, all right, get out of my house. I have bingo. <laughs> Never get out of here. But the girls ask her about 
what happened to dear Johnny? And she's just like, it's too horrible. I won't say. Yeah. Or she's just late for bingo. Right. I don't know. Right. She does tip us off. She's like, well, your grandfather, he was just keeping all sorts of shit up in the attic. He was a, basically, he was a hoarder. That tips the girls off to break into the grandma's attic and look through all the stuff her grandpa used to collect. Wouldn't you know it, Sam finds a newspaper with a headline that reads, Murder Stuns Town. And we come to find out that dear Johnny and his mother were brutally murdered in their home. And this sends Roberta into like a spiral. She gets really upset, smashes the mirror. She starts breaking stuff, like just screaming, why did she have to die? Why did any of them have to die? I get all of that. But she's breaking a lot of shit in somebody else's house. She is. At some point, is Sam going to be like, um, this is my grandpa's <laughs> yeah. stuff? Yeah. <laughs> my dead grandpa. Right. Like, like, this is all we have left of him, and you're destroying it all. But she's having a moment. She needs to have it. I mean, I imagine like movie producers and execs watch this scene and that like dollar signs were in their eyes. Oh, yeah. Like, they're like, She's the next oh, Christina Ricci's going to be a huge star. It was an incredible acting moment for a child actor. Really, really powerful. This is just another one of those lily pads on the Frogger game to womanhood or logs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but now we're dealing with the concepts of death and how life's not fair and people lie and young children get brutally murdered and it's fucked up. They've got like a fast track for learning all this stuff. They learn a lot this summer. Mm -hmm. They do all their growing up in one summer yeah. and I have to say it's a lot. It's a lot to the stomach. Yeah, like even at the end where they're like, remember that summer? Like that was a fun summer. I'd be like, that summer was loaded with trauma. Yeah, I'm still talking to my therapist about that summer. Right. <laughs> this is where they make the pact. The pact. That no matter what, they are going to be there for each other. It's a loose pact. It's up for interpretation about what that means. But yeah, do you really need me right now? Like, <laughs> do you need like a ride somewhere? Is that like, what is this encompassing? But they like, do the whole like pulley system, flashlight system, like walkie talkie. And it's like, what's up? I need you. Yeah, I have an itch on my back and I just can't <laughs> reach it. Can you come over? It's like, I don't think I can. I'm really tired. We made that goddamn pact. I'm 27 and I don't even live in that town anymore. <laughs> like, I can't. The remote control is all the way across the room. I still don't understand boners. Can you explain <laughs> it to me? It's like you're pregnant. <laughs> there was no hose involved. <laughs> there is a smallish hose, I suppose. Oh. I guess it. I guess it. We're, oh, fuck. Right. There's just so many better metaphors, I think. If you had to have if you had to have like a sex talk with your sons in the future and you had to use like a, some kind of metaphor, like what do you think would be a better one? Oh. Uh, have you ever seen like a prison movie? <laughs> and do you know how sometimes people are in prison and you can't get to them and they can't get to you? Uh yeah, dad, I think so. I don't know what this has to do with sex, but please come on. You know, girls, you're gonna grow up and you're gonna you're gonna start to feel a certain way about them, and it's gonna feel like you're really close to them for a while. And then some days maybe it just feels like they're on the other side of the glass and you've got a telephone. Is this a sex talk or an intimacy talk? Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I could have only hoped to receive a sex talk that started with, you know, prison movies. <laughs> my sexual education came from watching Sex in the City after my parents went to sleep, but it was the TBS version. So even it was edited down. I have the exact same experience. Really? TBS version. Of Sex in the City? The, yes. You grew up watching Sex in the City? I 
respect you so much. Thank no you. wonder you have such a keen understanding of the modern woman. <laughs> All those prisoners. <laughs> so when you actually, when you have your sex talk with your kids, you're going to be like, some of us are more of a Carrie and some yeah, of us are right. more of a Samantha. <laughs> and he's like, you mean that show that's still on TV somehow? Those old decrepit women <laughs> just whoring it up around New York City. Honey, I haven't gotten my period in years. <laughs> I like uh, the theory of like dementia, Samantha. <laughs> There's a reason they call it arts and crafts here at the center. Oh, why? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dementia Jones is the best. Dementia Jones. Wow. We just created a character I really like. Yeah. We have to move on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We got to go. We got to do this. Okay. We have to move on. It's been then for oh, so long. We okay. need to make it now. Um, the girls decide they've finally learned the horrid fate of Dear Johnny. They're going to do another seance to put Dear Johnny to rest. And they're sitting there and they're starting the seance. And all of a sudden, Dear Johnny's headstone comes floating into the cemetery, which if you'd never seen this movie before, I would imagine it would be very confusing. It was confusing. But it's actually on a truck coming to be replaced. And the guy tells them that he's the one who accidentally broke the headstone. And the girls get really disappointed. They spent this whole summer believing. This, I think, is my favorite line in the entire movie. Demi Moore narration says our days of playing make-believe were over as we grow older it becomes difficult to just believe it's not that we don't want to but too much has happened and we can't every quote in this movie about believing like you can believe in yourself if you're lucky like it's all about some type of lost innocence and lost imagination yeah. and creativity like the disillusionment that comes with growing up and again it's just like you live too much life to not feel guarded or just to believe with abandon right i mean it's like in the prestige where he talks about why he did the things that he did and it's like i did it to see their face like just for a moment where you don't think the world is solid all the way through so good so yeah this is kind of like no pun intended but kind of like a nail in the coffin of them you know, sort of on this wild goose chase and believing in this otherworldly sort of magical aspect of their childhoods. And Sam sees Pete in the cemetery and puts it together that crazy Pete was Johnny's father. And he just has another one of these moments, you know, with Sam where he's kind of opening up to her and just so fucking sad. Devastating. Yeah. He's like, I could have stopped it if I just would have been home instead of out at that bar. Ugh. It's just like, there's a lot of things in this movie, which I think like, again, is part of it. There are a lot of things that just don't have a silver lining. And she just knows that she should step in to act as his surrogate child at this moment. Were you expecting that crazy Pete was dear Johnny's dad? Not even a little bit. How was that? It was great. I loved it. Oh, just all the more heartbreaking when you're like, just why he's become this recluse and hidden from the world. And he sort of gives her this talk about how bad things are going to happen and you can't just like hide away from the world. Which I think that's the first time that the synapses start firing where you're starting to make, you know, there's a reason why every one of these vignettes is in this movie. I don't know if you could scrap really anything because there's a direct tie to his situation and what she grows up to be, which is a good argument that you need 
the now part of this movie. You got to know that when that comes to that point in that movie, you have to have the knowledge of how she grows up because that is all the more real to her, that line. Even though he warns her, she like falls into that trap anyway of withdrawing from relationships in the world. And it's not until they start talking about the memories that she even remembers that advice and can finally see how she can apply it now. Right after the scene in the cemetery, we just have this scene with the girls. They're decorating their tree house. Mm -hmm. And she says like that treehouse was supposed to bring us more independence but that summer brought us more independence from each other yeah which i was kind of confused about that i thought the opposite like it would bring them closer yeah i thought the whole point was that it brought them closer like maybe that was the point in which they started to gain their independence but like to say that the summer drove them apart didn't seem right yeah i mean i guess the way and when she frames it, it's kind of like we were actually all so different because that summer we actually started to grow up. We started to grow into who we would become. And that was just kind of further and further away from what they had. Right. I can't help but run parallels to stand by me. When their illusion is shattered about Dear Johnny, it's the same thing as when they get to the body in Stand By Me, where it stops being a fantasy. This kid is dead and none of them are ever the same. Like all of this like fairy tale hero nonsense becomes really real. And then they branch off from one another at the end of that movie. And it's like, we never really got back to that point. It's the same thing, like that they were so close. But I, for some reason, it's more accurate, at least the way they put it. Like, I do believe that it's like that node, that point that they shatter from, but it's not necessarily that the summer drove them apart. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of shit that goes down that summer that, you know, they're not finding a dead body, but they're going through a lot of other really fucked up stuff. They're chasing a dead body. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I guess they just kind of outgrow each other or, you know, I could see how after that summer, like Sam makes it her mission to kind of take off and same with Teeny, and we start to see the splinters in the friendship, whether it's like this friend relates more to this friend than that friend. And, you know, we see sort of the two girls who are like looking ahead and the two girls that are really like grounded in where they are, but snap back to the present and Chrissy is going into labor. I have to say at this point, I know that they're not going to come back to those girls. And the fact that Chrissy is in labor is so far from what I care about. Because we just never cared about them. We didn't care about it. And I and I care a lot about the ki- like the children's yes. story right now. Well, and because they just that leave. friendship isn't there. The friendship is not... Because clearly they drift apart, right? So it's not like we're seeing four best friends come back together and they're still like right, that same right. kind of rapport. They're kind of like estranged friends who are bound by this pact that they made as children. You don't really give a shit about them at this point, even if she's going into labor. Well, especially like her giving birth, because then you're like, oh, right, that's the reason why she needed them there. There couldn't have been something better. (laughs) Than the miracle of childhood. Well, I think, of course, that's a gigantic thing, but I feel like they could have made the reason why they get back together like a metaphor for something, and birth didn't have anything to do with anything, kind of. I guess, unless you want to get really deep on it and be like, it's the dawn of a new like chapter for them, and she gives birth to a girl and and so it's like the start of like a new feminine tribe you know i don't know oh i like that i like that a lot actually and it's a very adult thing there's no mistaking that it's the most adult thing you can do it's like the final thing they could experience together as far as like pivotal moments in growing up oh good point yeah and while she's giving birth this is finally the moment where i said she's straight (laughs) and emily was like what the fuck are you talking about Not only is she straight, but the man she married is the same nerdy guy 
who comes up to her during the softball game and is like, hello, dear. And then yep. you realize it's like the same guy. I had two moments of realization. I just realized the moment of realization that Chrissy is straight because <laughs> then I was like, oh, Chrissy, Chrissy's straight. So I guess Rosie is gay and she's just her best friend. And then it was like, Rosie's straight too? Like, is everyone straight? Everyone in this movie is straight and white. It pains me to say it, but it's the truth. Yes. Cut to all the women in the treehouse. My first thought is, how the fuck did they carry a newborn baby up into a treehouse? I thought the same thing. What is that baby doing in a treehouse? Did they have like a pulley in a basket? Because- It's notoriously difficult to get into a treehouse. And what is this baby, one day old? How long have they been staying there for? Right. Not only that, how did a woman who gave birth 24 hours ago climbing into a (laughs) treehouse? Maybe they were there for like a month. I don't know. This is ridiculous. That baby is not a month old. I'll tell you that right now. No, no. So they start reflecting on that summer that we just witnessed and they're playing truth or dare. And of course, they all do truth throughout the whole movie. And they, someone asks Sam if she's happy and she's just like, no. And she runs from relationships and then she reveals her moment with Crazy Pete. She never even told them that Crazy Pete was Dear Johnny's dad. That blew my mind. It doesn't make any sense to me that she didn't say that to them. No, not at all. She's just like, I've been so scared of the bad things that I missed out on the good. Which is a platitude, but there's a lot of like platitudes in this movie that are still heartfelt, like these truisms. It's sentimental and just something about this movie, you're able to stomach that stuff. It's easy to be like, oh, girl with divorced parents doesn't commit to relationships. Yeah, but also like that's real. That's a real thing. Even though we've seen it played out a million times. Times it's valid. There's not really like a, a happily ever after in this movie. No, which not really. I think is very fitting because we don't grow up into happily ever afters. You know what I mean? It's like we go through things as kids that scar mm-hmm. us and shape us into who we are, and hopefully we're faring fine and can deal with those things. And and the other part about it is like you know we grow up, but do we really grow very different? I mean, these people are still stuck in the same ruts that were created during this time period, and you know. To me, more might have this semi-epiphany. You have no idea whether that's going to change her. You know, they had that pivotal summer and then they all, you know, most of them sort of went off and lived their lives. And it takes them coming back to that place and looking back at that summer specifically to sort of have the realizations that they couldn't have as kids. They like can view it now with a little bit more wisdom. I mean, she basically says that like it took me coming back here to realize even what I was doing. Yeah, she was like, I was dreading coming back here, but now I know it's important. They make a new pact that they're going to see each other more often. I don't know how much I believe that they're going to do it just because I know what it means to be an adult. I don't think so. They hear there's a Red Rover game going on, which is how the movie started. It's that double layer of nostalgia that we were talking about. Woof, this movie is a lot. The whole time, and especially by the end of this movie, I just wished so bad that I had watched this when I was a kid. I still enjoyed it immensely. All right, so it's time to rate it. One through 10, what do you got? Okay, so I think in talking this movie out, I like this movie more than I thought I did. And not saying that I didn't like this movie, but I think that 
in talking it out. Well, you are severely misunderstanding it while you're yes, watching. Yes, I it was as well. true. Right, I, I fundamentally misunderstood <laughs> this movie. So, like, I thought it was a gay love story. The whole I, I, I did. I was like, this is so cool. I will give this movie seven balloons filled with vanilla pudding. That was gonna be mine. Oh, I'm sorry. Here, I'll take another one. No, 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 no. Fair and square. I had not watched this film in many, many years. And for me, it held up just as much and was just as pivotal feeling for me. And now getting to watch it as an adult just felt really powerful because I just am able to now look at them not as peers, but like the same way now I can look at my younger self and be like, you poor thing and also go you and, you know, just what it is to grow up as a young woman in all of its complexities. I will give this movie nine and a half pigtails full of bird shit. Nice. Great. I feel like we just went on such a journey. Like I am spiritually and emotionally spent. I'm going to watch Selling Sunset. Get on you. Get on you. Thanks everyone for listening. We would love your opinions on this stuff. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or TikTok at Millennial Movie Club. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your critiques. And we also would love to hear what movies you'd like for us to talk about. And if you're feeling saucy, go ahead and write us a review. And anyone who leaves a particularly lovely slash funny review, we will read it out on the podcast. So don't be shy. And include the number of Jesus references in your review. if you wouldn't <laughs> Only mind. Jesus references allowed. <laughs> yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later Later days. days.